Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Entrepreneurship in Developing Markets. I am here with my co-host, Lincoln. How's it going, man? We're doing great. This is going to be an exciting topic and very timely. Yeah, it's I'm really excited. Happening in, something happened in your backyard, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think it's happening in my it's happening in my backyard, but this is something that can happen to anyone anywhere. And I think it's just uh, this event that's happening is maybe something that will continue to happen over the next uh, couple of months in different parts of the world and different parts of, of the country. And what we want to discuss today is um, banking, especially banking runs and what happened recently with Silicon Valley Bank and talk about how that collapsed and also related a little bit more to what happens during a banking run or a liquidity crisis in developing markets and how inflation uh, plays into that. So I'm excited to get in this topic. But first, I think uh, to our listeners that are listening, we first just need to define and talk a little bit about what is a banking run and what happened uh, to Silicon Valley Bank um, over the last, uh, I think, two has been two weeks now. Right. Yeah. So tell us, are are you banking with Silicon Valley Bank? Were you exposed at all? No, I was not exposed to that fiasco that happened. <laughs> uh, just by the luck of me being a very nitpicky person when it comes to design, I did not like their website. And <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, when you write your memoirs, you're going to have to write about how prescient you were and how foresighted and how you just knew this was going to be a terrible bank. <laughs> and don't tell the truth, which is you didn't like their website. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like their website. So I'm not impacted at all. But I know that right. there are several businesses. Um, I know one of the big brands that are that's impacted that had over $500 million uh, in deposits in Silicon Valley Bank is uh, Aruku, one of the streaming mm -hmm. uh, device platforms that are similar to like Amazon Fire Stick. And there's several others like Peloton and all those. And, you know, um, the, the best thing, the positive thing that happened with this crisis with Silicon Valley Bank is that the government came in to guarantee all deposit all deposits that were deposited in the bank but um what happened and what caused the banking run is a bunch of um VCs and investment firms started going on message like their their startup message board and sending messages out to their startups and the founders of these startups saying hey silicon valley bank is in trouble you should take your money out and soon enough that word started spreading and next thing you know, on Twitter and, and all these other subgroups um, that that's subgroups of founders that are happening, everyone started taking their money out. And as soon as everybody started taking their money out, I think it was over $42 billion with, withdrawn in a single day. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank needed to be shut down by the FDIC um, and they were taken over by them. And so it essentially collapsed the bank and a lot of, and you may be wondering, well, shoot, shouldn't my money in my bank account be safe? Well, thanks to this little good old thing called fractional banking, <laughs> that's not the case. And the, uh, the banks do not necessarily need to have all the money that you deposit on hand, um, on hand in case you want to withdraw it. And maybe you can add something sure. to that. 
Well, if they were that kind of bank, they wouldn't be able to do any lending. They'd be like an African bank that doesn't lend money anyway. <laughs> the, idea, the idea of a bank is it does this delicate balance between the amount that gets deposited and the amount that they get lent, that they lend out, and there's some margin in between. Mm-hmm. And and apparently, you and I are the ones that are picking up the tab for Silicon Valley Bank, right? Yeah, it's supposed to be. It's not. It wasn't big enough to fall under the uh, all of the restrictions re- required by the Dodd Frank bill. But so it was allegedly not too big to fail, but they sure let it, they sure came and saved it. They didn't let it fail. <laughs> so now it begs the question, you know, who else gets saved and, and at what cost? Yeah. And there's can... probably some moral hazard there because uh, if the government's going to come and bail you out, what's to stop you from taking a crazy risk? Yeah. You might, you're, you're more incentivized to take a crazy risk. But I also think it's one of those things where, Silicon Valley is so important to the economy right now and the, these different startups that operate us um, out of Silicon Valley that it was more al- along protecting uh, these startups. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Silicon Valley has a rep, you know, they try to paint a reputation of they're not Wall Street, but they behave and act like Wall Street, <laughs> just with yeah, just just a little bit more colorful. And so they are they mm-hmm. have a lot of big, uh, powerful influences in Washington now. You know, help them out when the time sure. comes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, and so it's a luxury that we have in this country that uh, we have a government that can do that and probably doesn't even notice it on their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. But but what about these countries we're talking about in the developing markets? Yeah, I think this of, is. Go ahead. I was going to say a lot harder for them, right? And, yeah, it's a lot so don't harder. Don't expect that. Yeah, don't expect yeah. them to come running to save you. So let's explore that a little bit because um, in developing markets and emerging markets, banking runs are a little bit more common than what we saw, um, like what we experienced here in the U.S. With Silicon Valley Bank, um, and it has happened pretty—I wouldn't say frequently, but at at a predictable rate—in um, a lot of developing markets. Just like recently, uh, Nigeria rolled out a new banking note, and they didn't even have enough uh, printed to, and there was a run on the bank to. Withdraw their uh, withdraw their money or exchange or uh, exchange money uh, recent and that just happened recently, right before the election, of course. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the idea there was to exchange the the uh, old banknotes and get the new banknotes. But as you can imagine, that's even in a in a place with lots of resources, that would have been very very difficult to do in a short amount of time, and uh, even harder in um, in. Uh, Nigeria and is coming up to an election. <laughs> so the, that created some sort of a bank run, right? Or some kind mm-hmm. of panic about whether you're going to be able to, do, your money would get uh, expired. You know, the bank notes that you held in your mattress or whatever would no longer be legal tender after a certain date. Mm-hmm. Of course, they had to extend the date. <laughs> do you know people who who didn't get it exchanged in time? I There's this group chat that I'm in and people were discussing it about how, but it's more about like the complaining of just, just how backwards a country is and blah, blah, sure. blah, more than anything else. But I'm sure most people were not able to exchange it in time and the extension, um, hopefully the extension um, allowed them to 
make the necessary changes. But if you are one of our listeners here and you're operating in a developing or emerging market and you experience something like this, what are some of like the negative impacts that a banking run, uh, a liquidity crisis can have on your business? Um, and what have you seen on your end? Like, have you ex have you experienced this in your 25 years of operating? Yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> uh, I was I was walking over to the office here a couple of minutes ago to do this podcast, and I got a WhatsApp message from my partner in Liberia uh, because he had sent what for him was a pretty big transfer this morning. And so I wrote back and said, whoa, that's a big one. And he wrote to me a few minutes ago and said, yep, we'll try to send as much as possible as we have heard there's a banking crisis. And I'm trying not to keep too much money in the bank. What do you think about the banking crisis we're hearing about in the U.S.? Do you think that it will affect us in Africa with our local banks? <laughs> so there's a, an effect right there. It's, it's a positive effect for our company because he's going to accelerate his payments. It's a negative effect for him because he'll have less cash flow on hand and mm -hmm. he'll uh, <laughs> have less money to invest and uh, less liquidity in general. So... Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's one effect is now if everyone in, in Liberia behaves the same as him, that'll be a bank run because everyone's trying to get their money out. Fortunate thing there is that at least the economy is somewhat dollarized. So, um, you're, you don't have the same chaos that you could where you, uh, in a pre-dollarized economy where they're still using local currency. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that happens is everybody wants to turn their local currency into hard currency in any way that they can, you know, whether that's to uh, buy something that's worth something or to change it into U.S. dollars. And then frequently, in a lot of these countries in which people operate, there will be an FCA, a foreign currency account, and a local currency account. And so when liquidity gets tough, they'll freeze the FCA. <laughs> And what that really means is they're using that right now. You can't use it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're, they're using their dollars to either take care of important customers, the most important of which is the government. And maybe the president has something he needs to use that money for. And so he needed the hard currency. So he said, listen, we're buying all your dollars today at X rate. And what can they say? They're regulated by the government. They have to do, uh, you know, they have to, they're subject to their uh, regulation. And so your money gets tied up. And sometimes it could be a long time before you get it back, if ever. Uh, and and your alternative. And so you go and you queue up at the, at the door of the bank. Guess what? You're not the only guy with that idea. So the queue goes around the corner and everybody, every desperate pensioner and everyone else is queuing up there. That's not a good solution. So then you start looking for the back door. Well, Hopefully, you've done a good job of cultivating contacts and you know somebody who knows somebody or else your banker is, owes you a favor <laughs> and you're able to do something on the inside. But coming when a crisis like that happens, queuing up with the rest of the villagers at the front door is not a solution. Mm -hmm. And you're the, as my partner in Liberia said, his solution is to not keep very much money in the local banks. Mm -hmm. And so for local banks and for these developing economies, it's a lose-lose because now nobody wants to keep their money in the bank. Therefore, the money the bank doesn't have liquidity. Therefore, the money the bank can't lend. Therefore, the economy can't grow. Therefore, rates stay high. Growth is stymied. Um, 
there's just all sorts of negative impacts from this loss of confidence or a banking run, as you say. Mm -hmm. When when else have you experienced this? Um, as you are operating, and is there any processes that you put in place where you you're like, all right, well, we need operating cash um, in let's say Kenya, and so maybe you have team members out there, and sometimes when a banking crisis happens, um, just moving money um, across borders becomes significantly more difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and what has been your experience there? Well, uh, at the end of the day, at the very last option, we own items that are useful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really wouldn't want to have a warehouse full of t-shirts or, I don't know, think of something that would be hard to sell to somebody who really was hard up, but uh, our inventory happens to be solar equipment. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, probably maybe better than gold in a tough, in tough times. <laughs> we have the, the components to make power. So at the end of the day, we can monetize that somehow, some way. Mm -hmm. So even if, you know, a civil war broke out and there was a banking run and there was uh, lots of other issues, uh, if we can keep a hold of our stock, if we can manage not to lose that, then we still have some value. But that's at the very, at the very extreme point. Um, we bank and do most of our banking in the United States, although we have lots of partners who have accounts and who owe us money and have money in those accounts that belongs to us in lots of jurisdictions. And we have a rule that every Friday they have to count up. And if they have over X amount of dollars in that or, the, or equivalent of X amount of dollars in that, then they need to send it home, meaning to wire it out to the U.S. And sometimes they're more faithful at that than others. And there's been a few times where they got caught in a forex crunch, and they weren't able to. You know, they're embarrassed because we're like, okay, you got a bunch of money sitting out there. Why didn't you send it? Well, you know, we thought we could, but then last week uh, the president did this or that, or something else changed. <laughs> like, yep, that's why we had that rule. So I guess what I'm saying is discipline is really important. Uh, we also sell in local currency in those markets. And mm -hmm. there's a rule that they have to change it before the sun goes down. Mm -hmm. Because um, when one of the effects of inflation is that your exchange rate will deteriorate. And so the money has to get changed right away. So those are a couple of ways that we protect ourselves against bank runs and against currency slides. Mm -hmm. And they're usually related. Currency slide usually happens with bank runs. Well. Now you got to kind of tell us a little bit about when when you were starting out, how you came to the numbers that you came to, because, you know, <laughs> there's a tuition to be paid. Uh, what you can afford to lose. Uh -huh. <laughs> It'll be a different number for everybody. So oh, yeah. some, kind of, some kind of balance between making the guy go down and stand in line at the bank for two hours each day and mm -hmm. the bank, banking fees versus the probability in that country that something will go wrong versus uh, how much you can afford to lose as compared to what, you know, the volume that you have going. That's kind of how we came up with it. And like I said, it's not, we wish the discipline was better. Okay. Well, in the U.S., we have something like the FDIC in place um, right. for personal bank. Uh, for It protects up to $250,000 in uh, deposits. Um have you seen um, 
an institution similar to that in uh, developing emerging markets that are there to protect deposits, or is just that not a thing? Well, I think sometimes those are there on paper. Mm -hmm. um, you're familiar, I'm sure you've seen a few pension fund scams, social security fund scams, mm -hmm. right? Almost every African capital has a skyscraper that's been funded by the social security fund. Mm -hmm. And so that's your that's your your the pensioners' money, the, the contributions that the workers made to social security funds, and that's supposed to be an investment. <laughs> and sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. And sometimes, just like in this country, you open up the bank to see to get out the pension funds, and they're gone. And they didn't go away overnight. Usually, they were kind of dribbled out slowly, slowly, and with bad management or shoddy investments or investments that didn't that weren't made with the due diligence that they should have been made or they were made for political purposes or uh the worst ones is for development right so oh we're going to use the social security fund to build this highway or something like that and and then it's going to create such so many opportunities in the country that it'll will recover the money or that sort of thing just doesn't work out a lot of graphs and projections <laughs> right exactly <laughs> that's how you know you're getting scammed <laughs> and no one yeah no one that actually is doing the work there in that exactly meeting. but yeah as an entrepreneur it, go ahead no go ahead as an entrepreneur what are some things that you can recommend to our listeners that are listening to this episode as to what they can do to Obviously, there's not a real great protection against banking runs, especially when that's, you know, it's happening in a major market like the U.S. And no one thought, you know, three weeks ago that a major bank that's been facilitating, facilitating transactions for these high growth startups would go out of business um, overnight. But what are some best practices that you've seen that worked? I know you already mentioned a couple, um, making sure that your partner's uh, do their timely deposit every single um, day, um, moving some of your funds over to the United States where it's a little bit uh, a lot a little bit more secure and it protects against some of the challenges that developing uh, markets have. But what are some other things that entrepreneurs can do? Well, I'll uh, give you a uh, give you an example of one very, uh, creative entrepreneur <laughs> in Zimbabwe. He's a good friend of mine who has a solar company in Zimbabwe and, and is um, a, a great entrepreneur. He's done a great job. But uh, in Zimbabwe, you know, they've had periods of extremely high inflation, like crazy, you know, millions of percent inflation. And he said he found himself one night driving around Harare with his the boot of his car full of funny money, you know, toilet paper money, local currency that was getting worth less every minute, trying to find something that he could put in that he could buy um, that would hold value. And he ended up finding a ice cream kiosk, you know, these moving little kiosks <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and bought all the guy's stock. <laughs> Wow, the guy, the guy was coming to the end of the day, and he didn't have a refrigeration to put it in, and he just bought all of his stock. <laughs> so there's this whole boot full of, you know, at least he got something of value. He got it some ice cream. So sometimes you have to be creative. Um, I think it helps to understand 
you know, every situation is going to be different, but if you understand what's going on, uh, you'll be a, a step ahead. I think it's really frustrating if you don't understand and you're just running around asking your local contacts, so what's going to happen? So why did that happen? And you're never going to get a complete answer. You're going to, everybody's going to be holding some part of the elephant, like this story of the five blind men diagnosing what they're holding, you know, describing an elephant. Uh, everybody's going to have some part of it. Um, but let's take an example of inflation that's happening right now. How's this going to affect your market? Well, first of all, prices are going to go up in hard currency. So if your country, the country you're working in is importing items, which it probably is, uh, especially essential items like uh, rice and fuel, the prices are going up because of uh, inflation. And then as the hard currency interest rates go up along with the inflation, then that means that currency's value rises. So the dollar gets stronger. So now not only did the price in dollars go up, but the dollar costs you more because your local currency depreciates. And then everybody in the country is poorer because they're all operating in the local currency. And therefore, for you, for those governments, it takes more local currency to make the foreign debt payments. So they're spending more servicing their debt and they have less to take care of their government spending. And they're probably not going to be able to continue subsidies. This is what you're seeing happen in, in places like Tunisia right now, where there's a little bit of a struggle to continue the bread subsidies, Egypt, same way, um, and fuel subsidies and other subsidies that keep the peace and allow the government to stay in, in power. And then the local interest rates will go up, obviously, to counteract the slide in the currency. And that means that the borrowing by the government is more expensive. So if they're selling local treasury bills, they have to pay more. Um, and so at the end of the day, everybody's poor and the government has a lot less money. And you can predict what some of these dictators for life or third term presidents are going to do to stay in power. Hint, they're not going to spend money on social spending. <laughs> they're not going to help uh, you know, the their own personal Bodyguards are going to get paid first. The government, the military is going to get paid second. Maybe if the if they're scared of the civil service, they'll pay the civil service salaries. And then anybody else that's owed money, like you, if you have a government contract, you can expect to not get paid. And they won't tell you straight up that they're not going to pay you. They'll just say, oh, we'll have a slight delay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, whatever slight means, right? Yeah. Yeah, any any day, any time from now, um, and then you know, in in the worst case, these governments will also try to find some enemies somewhere to distract you. So they'll either start to pick a fight with their neighbors, or some cases with uh, immigrants. Um, you'll see that where they start blaming, looking for somebody to blame for the hard times instead of you know just explaining the explaining economics to their electorate. So there's going to be some chaos. And if they start printing money, then there's going to be a lot of chaos because then you're going to have crazy inflation and you'll end up doing things like my friend to uh, try to preserve your value. Uh, I was in Harare during one of those crazy inflation runs and I called in the middle of the afternoon to get a hotel reservation. And uh, the lady said something like, this was at the Cresta Hotel, if mm -hmm. you know Harare. And she said, um, yeah, that will be three hundred and fifty-five million six hundred and seventy-two thousand three hundred and seventy something. <laughs> and it's exactly what I did. I just laughed, and she said, "Oh, but what time are you coming?" I said, "This evening." Oh, 
well, this will be higher then. <laughs> <laughs> that quote was only good for five minutes. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> How do you, you know, you can't operate in that. Well, they do. They manage to operate, but you have to be very creative and you've got to think outside the box a lot. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, most of our listeners are not going to be in that situation. Um, essentially, what happens when that happens is that when you get into that kind of inflation is everybody dollarizes. Nobody's going to operate like that. And the government might make a law that requires you to do to operate in local currency, but it's broadly ignored. And, you know, you might post your prices in local currency. And when the customer walks through the door, you're going to say, look, I can either give you five times what it's the local, the, the real price in local currency to protect myself, or we can just dollarize it right now. And they'll, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's always a way. So as a, as a um, technology guy, I wanted to talk to you or hear some of your thoughts about how fintech or mobile money or non-banking alternatives might help in this. Yeah, I, I think I was having a conversation with one of my colleagues and I'm kind of a little, I'm not a big fan of electronic payments as much, especially the the new direction that the slow messaging buildup that's happening with let's digitize uh, currency mm -hmm. because it also means now, you know, government is more in control over your currency and being able to invalidate your money in a split right. second. So for example, banking runs that have happened in the past, you know, if you can't even pull up your money or even be able to transfer it because they've blocked the whatever numeric 12 digit associated with the money that you have in your digital wallet. Yeah. Right. That's, that's where I believe things are going, but I think the advantage of digital banking and FinTech is that it, it can protect you in terms of being able to withdraw your money faster, but it can also accelerate the banking runs like, like never before, where before a lot of the times people had to physically go to the bank and withdraw all of their cash. Now you can sit at home and hit uh, withdraw and or mm -hmm. send the money to another banking institution that you have. And that's what happened with um, Silicon Valley Bank. Most of it was wire transfer that happened and people were wire transferring as quickly as uh, humanly possible. And sure. combine that with the information age of a little rumor. Yeah. Social media, yeah, social media, and all of a sudden, something that either could have a little bit more control burn is now more of a, a a fireball out of nowhere, right? So I think that's where technology um, can accept, like it can positively accelerate your way out of if you get ahead of the information, like a lot of the VCs did, and said and sent it to their um, teams and um, startups but it can also hurt like people who are not in the end, right? People mm -hmm. who get the message late. Or who are even gone for a couple of days. Yeah. I mean, that happened so fast. It's like if there, <laughs> yeah. for some reason you weren't checking your news uh, every couple hours, you would have missed it. If you weren't on Twitter, you would have missed it. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so, you know, I was just thinking, I've never heard of a banking run on M-Pesa. M-Pesa is, uh, you know, mobile money in Kenya. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I've got to believe that that's going to help. That helps a lot. 
uh, thinking back to the 90s when I first went to Africa, there was there weren't even mobile phones, so there was nothing like mobile banking. Now there's a lot of value stored in those mobile networks, and I think they're probably more trusted than the banks, and probably more trusted than the government. What what I have seen lately talking to my team is mobile money had a huge head start in Africa, and regulation did not uh, did not catch up to it. And now mm -hmm. regulation is starting to catch up to it, where as people who are either um, that adopted mobile money are now actually going back to the traditional means because of the significant amount of fees that government have tacked on to mobile. They wanted pay. to start taxing it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they've started taxing, especially in it. East Africa. Yeah. yeah. This is happening also in Ghana as well, where. If you're looking at the fees, you're like, yeah, I could I could do mobile money, but the fees are a little bit more outrageous. And it's all government-based fees and taxes that they've applied to mobile money now. So it's becoming more regulated. And so I don't know what the future holds. I still think mobile money and digital payments give um, the unbanked a lot of opportunity to become bankable. And it provides a lot of opportunities. But you know, government can sometimes ruin a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the one one thing, and you, you might have experiences from other parts of the world, but one nice thing about Africa is there's uh, there's this long tradition of uh, non-bank alternatives. So uh, in Benin, we called it Tontine. Uh, I'm not sure what you, what the name is in, in Nigeria. Um, in Kenya, they're, it's a Harambe, but it's also Sakos. It's, um, it's, it's the peer-to-peer -peer, um, borrowing. So 12 of us get together and uh, each of us put in 100 of units of local currency a month. And when after 12 months, then Donabari gets to take it. And then uh, the next 12 months, then Lincoln gets to take it. And that way, that's a way that we can save up enough money for each of us to start our own little business or something. Mm -hmm. What's the do you Do you know a local Nigerian word for those? But I have not heard of a local Nigerian word for that. And yeah, that's I'm sure there must be. That's a concept that's new to me. Uh, this is the first time I've heard of it. Oh, okay. So that's the old <laughs> traditional way of, and that's kind of, I think the sort of thinking that was behind Grameen Shakti, you know, with this peer pressure banking. Um, and, you know, what you were saying about mobile money was great until the government got involved. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe these uh, old traditional methods are still pretty good. Um, maybe that's still the best way Well, for a lot of people. I was having a, we were having a, this is also a build on a conversation I was having with my, my, one of my colleagues. I said, for the last four or five, uh, four or five years, there has been this significant push by, especially here in Silicon Valley, to um, introduce cryptocurrency and mm -hmm. paint the traditional means of banking as very uh, unsafe and that crypto would solve a lot of that problem because um, you have full control ownership of it. And a lot of the startups that engage in that marketing message and that and push that out and try to productize crypto and Bitcoin and uh, eat and all of these things. As soon as Silicon Valley Bank, the, the banking institution that they were banking with failed, they've reverted back to the traditional government, hey, bail me out. 
and, and saved mm-hmm. yeah. and saved me from uh, the decisions that I've made. So I thought that was a pretty right. funny yeah. <laughs> coincidence. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we're all anti-government until we need it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, one thing that, you know, you're asking about how, how can we as entrepreneurs know what's going on and do we have to be glued to Twitter and, and certainly in the countries that you're operating in the developing world, you need to have a lot of friends and you need to be talking to them frequently so that you can hear things. But I have more than once, I have noticed uh, financial crises before they, I read about them in the press, before they were reported in the United States. I remember flying back before before the 2009 uh, financial crisis, flying back from Africa and uh, landing to go to a trade show in Los Angeles. And everybody was so happy and everything was great and business was booming. And I said, I don't think so, guys. There's There's a storm coming because I was already seeing among our partners in Africa, uh, tightening liquidity and difficulty for them getting funding and and uh, getting dollars. And sure enough, within a week or two, it was the the crisis had, bro- had broken and and everybody knew about it. Um, I've got a current example. We were doing some lending in South Sudan, and um, you might not think South Sudan is like a bellwether for world financial markets. <laughs> But uh, between November when we started and now, today, uh, we've noticed a a tightening of liquidity and those customers that felt more buoyant, as we say in Nigeria, uh, are feeling less buoyant now and just struggled to get a payment out uh, just last week. So um, I think where um, the market is thinner, it's easier to um, notice these sort of things. And if so, if you pay attention, you can see, you can tell something's in the wind. You may not know all of the components, but something's, something's up. Yeah. I was talking to my wife too. Um, not like last, last night we were walking through our neighborhood because we live in a pretty, um, the suburb of San Francisco. And I'm like, wow, man, this this shop went out of business. And it's a small mom and pop shop because in San Francisco, mm-hmm. there's just more of those. You don't see the Walmarts or these big multinational corporation businesses, shops um, in San Francisco as much. And I'm like, man, this, this business went out of business. Like they just cleared out shop. Then a block, like two blocks later, another one went out of business. The, the, realist, um, the off, office space or the restaurant space is now empty. And... I'm like, what else is coming down the pipeline where, you know, you start to see these little uh, businesses just go out of business that have been there for 30, 40 uh, plus years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good Good to notice those things and ask those questions. Maybe there's something significant, maybe not, but uh, uh, you'll uh, there's, there's reasons for things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good to know what the reasons are. <laughs> Well, uh, this about wraps up our episode here. If you love this episode, make sure to give us a review on your favorite podcasting app and also to make sure that you hit that subscribe button and we will talk to you next time.